Well, good morning, everybody. We are uh, in a series called An Unlikely Hero. And it is a short series, but we are looking very specifically at the life of David, King David. And the purpose of the series is to awaken and inspire a hero inside of you. To, and, and, and you know that every now and then you get a glimpse of your own genius. You get a glimpse of something inside of you that is bigger than what shows up most days. And I'm, I'm praying that as we look at this, these passages, that the Holy Spirit will wake up inside of you. That, that, that call that, 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 that sits down inside of you, that, that call that, that, that wants you to pull you into something bigger than you are today. So we began um, by looking at David's life when he was a shepherd. Because you think he's just a shepherd, but he's never just a shepherd. He's always a king. He just was a king in shepherd's clothes. He was a king growing inside a shepherd. And we, we, we talked about how shepherding goats and shepherding sheep was God's training ground for becoming a king. Then we talked about how um, David had to learn to contend against fear. And, and Chad took us into the David and Goliath story. And this week, I want to uh, look at David and Saul, King Saul's tenuous relationship. Um, I, I'm not sure how good your relationship with your mother-in-law is or how bad it is. I don't know if you've got a really, really bumpy relationship. <laughs> She's right beside you. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how difficult your relationship is with a, a sibling um, or, 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 or somebody at work, but I promise you that nobody in this room has got so much tension in a relationship as David had with Saul. Um, I'm going to be talking to you for the most part from Samuel, 1 Samuel 19, but we're going to start in 1 Samuel 16 and get our way back to 19. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 13, so Samuel... He's the prophet, right? Took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. In verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. All right. That verse right there is just chocked full of tension, isn't it? The spirit of the Lord and then an evil spirit of the Lord. Yeah, I'm not even going to touch it today. But what I want you to see is in verse 13, that from the time that, that Samuel anointed David, it says, from that day forward, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And at the exact same time, the spirit of God is taken away from King Saul. And at, at the beginning, it's an unseen tension, but there's a tension between these two characters in this narrative. Have you ever seen somebody operating fully in their calling and their anointing? I mean, they are beautiful. When you are in your stride, in your lane, doing what God called you to do, you actually look better than you do. You, 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 you actually shine. You, you operate with more authority more effect, effectiveness 
When, when, when somebody, I've, I've seen it in so many different areas. Like for instance, uh, I don't know if, if there's any finishing carpenters in here. Uh, my brother-in-law is a finishing carpenter and I've watched this guy and I'm telling you what he does is absolutely beautiful. It is poetry in motion to watch all the, like, like I measure stuff and I cut it and I keep cutting it and it gets shorter and shorter. And it's wrong. It gets more wronger all the time I cut it. Like it's just wrong all the time. Like I, I can't, don't ask me to build anything. It will be bad. And my brother-in-law, he just puts it together and it's perfect. He's in his lane. He's in his anointing. When Cheryl sings, when she's in her zone, it is amazing. It's beautiful. She melts your heart. The words, the anointing, it, it happens, right? When you're in your zone, when you're in your anointing, you have more authority, you have more power, and you are, uh, it's even poetic, the way you, you move. On the other hand, Saul lost his anointing. Without the anointing, you can go through all the exact same motions and there's nothing. There's no joy, there's no power, there's no authority. You can go through all the same motions. No one's following you, no one's being inspired by you. I, um, the, the first church that I, that I got hired in was uh, in the 80s. It started out with 30 people in a dinky little building. It was during the charismatic movement, which kind of happened in the 80s in Calgary. And this church, it, it, it's just like God landed on it and everything that they did, it just, just, there was power. There was presence. And this church grew to, um, from about 30 to about 3,000 in just three or four years. I think it was five years. And they built this enormous church and they packed it three services on a Sunday. I mean, we, we started on Sunday night at six o'clock. We didn't get out of there till 10 o'clock. And even then we stayed. There was so much presence. It's the first time in my life I ever seen anybody completely healed, walk out of a wheelchair. There, there's a guy, he, he was at the piano. Uh, Rich Cook was his name. He's at the piano and he had this ability. He would start playing and all of a sudden he'd just start playing a song and he'd start to write a song. And he wrote these songs right there. And, and there's a, a gal, Danielle was her name, and, she, and she, he said she was at the back and he had her roll down to the front in her wheelchair and he just started singing this beautiful song that he just made up and, and he washed over her with this song. This is a true story. And, and, and she, you know how you see people fall down under the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, when you're in a wheelchair, you can't kind of do that unless you tip the chair over for somebody. And so she just kind of slumped in her chair. Well, the service was over and we, we actually had somebody sit with her because we didn't know if he killed her or what because she just kind of slumped over. She was breathing but not doing anything else. That night when she went home, in the middle of the night, she got thirsty she got up, this is true, she, she got up, she went to the fridge to get something to drink. And when she opened the door on the fridge, she realized she'd walked there. She realized she walked there. Now that kind of stuff happened more regularly than I'd ever seen it before. Okay, whoa, right? 
when I went on staff there, I remember sometimes I would walk through the sanctuary to get to my office and the tangible presence of the Lord, like, like, like I, I could feel it. And I wasn't all that discerning. And then one day, somewhere about my third year at that church, I walked into the sanctuary to go to my office. And I'm going, whoa, whoa, something's gone. Something shifted, something lifted. Something, it's like the spirit of God. We didn't know at the time, but there was some, there was some unethical stuff going on behind the scenes. There was some schmutz going on in leadership. There's some stuff that we didn't know, but that's the spirit of God had lifted off of that place. And within three years, 3,000 people got whittled back down to 30. They sold the building. They shut the church down because without the anointing, you're wasting your time. And Saul knew what it was like to be rich with God's presence and rich with his anointing. And now it's gone. He lost it and David got it. And this unseen tension that begins at David's anointing actually is the very thing that defines David's life for the next 15 years. And so I figured, you know what, why don't, why don't we look at the tension in the relationship and how God used it to refine David, how God used it to prepare him to be king, okay? 1 Samuel 16. It's one thing to, to um, have tension in a relationship with somebody that lives in Kelowna because all you have to worry about is bumping into them at Costco and how weird that's going to be and awkward that's going to be. But it is completely another thing to be, have that level of tension when someone lives in the same house as you do. And when David is anointed to be king, he's living at home with his father, right? And it's a good thing that he didn't live with Saul because that would have been cruel, right? And so he lives at home with his dad until verse 15 of 1 Samuel 16. Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants to hear to search for someone who can play the liar. And he will play, and when the evil spirit of God comes on you, you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays and bring him to me. Now think about this. It's a nation. There must be many, 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 many musicians in the nation of Israel. Pick one, anyone. And of all the musicians in all of Israel, one of his servants says, well, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's brave, a warrior. He speaks well, and he's fine looking. And I hate him. Um, and, uh, and the Lord is with him. I mean, like, really, did you miss anything, God? He's brave. He's a warrior. He speaks well. And he looks like Brad Pitt. Oh, like, why don't you dish it out to all of us a little more evenly and then, instead of giving it all to one? I'm sorry, that was me. Um, <laughs> then verse 21, David came to Saul and entered into his service. And Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service. I'm pleased with him. Verse 23, and whenever the spirit of God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul and he'd feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Now think about this. What is God doing 
He, he, you know, why, why would he do such a thing? I mean, God knows that, yeah, today Saul thinks David's pretty cool. But God knows that this thing is going to be a disaster. This thing is going to derail and people are going to get hurt. Why would he set it up for David to be the only one that can minister to Saul when he's in a bad way? You see, I think in so many ways... God arranges for David to move close into Saul's house to get up close with him because that is where the fire is the hottest. That is where things he did, the crucible is the hottest. The only way I can think of God doing that is because there was something that he wanted to produce in David that he was going to do in an accelerated way. And so instead of having this tension, a few you know, blocks away from each other, God brings them right up tight. The Bible tells us that God is our refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. It does not say that God is our strength, our refuge, and our help from trouble. There are times when you think that you're in trouble, but you're not in trouble. You're in training. And God has just set the, the arena for David's training. What David calls trouble, God simply calls training. A lot of people think that after David killed Goliath that David just signed autographs and posters and just hung out, you know what, just kind of just reveled in his success. And, and not, but that's not true. Because David actually got enlisted in the army. Of course he did. If I was Saul, I'd want a giant killer on my side too. And the Bible says that, 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 that whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased the troops and this pleased Saul's officers. Can you see what happened here? The anointing of God is on David powerfully and it's increasing. It's increasing. It's on him so strong that, 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 that he is beginning to walk in strength and wisdom and, and understanding the strategy of battle better than he ever understood before. And God's favor is going before him. He's behind him. It's all around him. Wherever he goes, God makes a way. And the Bible says, and when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and joyful songs with timbrels and lyres. And they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And the Bible says Saul was angry, you think? He's going, what, what? They give me thousands and him 10,000. I'm the king. The next thing you know, they are going to want to make him the king. And the Bible says from that day on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And that brings us to 1 Samuel 19. This is where I wanted to get to. 1 Samuel 19 verse 8 says that war broke out again. After that, David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. If you look at it, you know what David's reward was for 
killing the giant? You know what his reward was for, for taking Goliath out when nobody else had the courage to do it? His reward was more battle. His reward was using his strength and his sling and his courage and his faith to fight more battles. And when he won the next battle, you know what his reward was? To fight another one and another one and another one. Do you know what your reward is for killing the giant that's looking you in the face right now, that's, that's up in your grill, the, the, the giant that's breathing and huffing and puffing and threatening to blow your house down? You know what your reward for fighting and getting victory over that one is? Your reward is the strength and the faith and the courage and the skill to do battle. You see, most of us are terrified of battle. The second something goes wrong, we go fetal. We, we have, oh, my life is hard. Oh, I can't buy a new car. Oh, my, my cell phone isn't very fast. You know, oh, man. Oh, mom. You know, life, you bump into life and you, you, you just think, what? God, why are you so mean? God wants to train your hands for war. Stop being such a baby. So somebody doesn't like you. Grow a spine. Spine. <laughs> His reward that he became strong and courage, courageous in battle. And David doesn't seem to have any problem being on the front lines and and going at it in battle. But his biggest, his biggest battle, the one that the most defining battle in his life, the one that God was trying to get at to get him ready to be king, wasn't against someone. It was a battle that was going on inside of him. And I want you to see how in 1 Samuel 19.9, there is a war going on inside this, this man. Because the favor of God the strength of God, the anointing of God, and the spirit of God was undeniably growing in David, increasing in his life to the point where he had become the hope of Israel. And at the exact same time, the favor, the anointing, the strength and the spirit of God was undeniably being withdrawn from Saul's life and it was distressing. I mean, literally, it was, he was coming on glue. He was, he was literally going mentally crazy because he could feel the kingdom slipping through his hands. Nobody's following. Nobody's listening. Nobody's into him. And he can't stop it. He tries to kill David, I don't know how many times. And he gives him impossible tasks. And every single time, no matter what he does to try and get rid of David, David gets promoted in the eyes of the people every time, again and again. <laughs> and then to make matters worse, the only guy, the only guy that can soothe Saul when he's manifesting is David. So he hates him, but he needs him. But he hates him, but he needs him. But he hates him. And finally, the tension in this relationship detonates in 1 Samuel 19.9. And get this, this is such a great scene. Saul was sitting at home with a spear in his hand, right? Okay, what? 
right there. Does that tell you anything? He's sitting at home with a spear in his hand. How many of you watch TV with a loaded shotgun? You know what? And you, you, you know, you just know the elevator has stopped working. He's sitting at home with a spear in his hand. The tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David. But David dodged out of the way, leaving the spear stuck in the wall. He fled and he escaped into the night. Now think about this. There are two men in the room. The crazy one has got his hand on a spear. The anointed one has got his hand on a harp. In a game of rock, paper, scissors, spear, spear wins every time. It, it, it takes out rock, paper, or scissors, okay? If you're playing, go with spear every time. Saul is suddenly tormented, and, and he hurls a spear at David, and David gets out of the way, and the spear sticks in the wall. There is a civil war going on inside of Saul. He is at war with himself. And he tries to kill David to silence his own war. He's taking out his internal war on the closest available target, which just happens to be David. And when you and I are at war with ourselves, we do the same thing. You kick the dog, you yell at your wife, you yell at every Prius that doesn't drive fast enough for you. You know what? You, you take it out on everybody. When you, when you are at war with yourself, you, you begin to project that on, on everybody around you. Saul has just declared war on David. And David can do one of two things. David can turn around he can grab the spear, because he missed. He could turn around and he could grab the spear and he could throw it back. And one thing we know about David is that when he throws stuff, he does not miss. And he is actually anointed for battle. He is good at this. God gives him strength in this. He could just turn around, grab the spear and huck it back at him. He could take out the old guy without a problem. But David doesn't take his hand off of the harp. Why do you think he doesn't take his hand off the harp? Why do you think he didn't grab for the spear? I suggest to you because David knew there was another hand in the room protecting him. Do you remember when he comes up to Saul and Saul says, you can't fight the giant? And David says to Saul, the Lord rescued me from the claw of the bear and the lion. And he's going to rescue me from this Philistine. And here we are three chapters later and David doesn't take his hand off his heart because he knows that the Lord who rescued me from the lion and the bear and the giant and the countless battles I fought since then is big enough to rescue me from a crazy king. You see, he knows Saul cannot kill what God has ordained. He knows that he cannot kill what God has anointed. He knows who he is. And this is the most significant thing that, that can happen in our hearts in the middle of a battle. You know that the battle is the Lord's. 
And some of you right now are in a tenuous relationship. Some of you right now know what it's like to have a sword sticking in the wall right by your head. Some of you know what it's like to have a spear sticking in your head because somebody keeps hitting you. You're the target of someone's anger. You're the target of someone's criticism or their gossip. You're misunderstood. And I, want, I know this one thing. If you want to keep your peace, then you keep your hand on your harp. If you want to keep your own peace in your heart, you keep your hand on the harp and stop looking at what you can do with the sword, that's the spear that's stuck in the wall. Everything in our flesh wants to grab the spear and huck it back. And then go find some other spears and throw them too. If David could win this battle within his own soul, then God knew that he had a man that he could use who would give him victory on all the outward battles. Because the real war is inside and the real weapons are inside. And do you know how David won this battle? David won this battle. See, go to Psalm 59. Is the, this is the historical context for the Psalm 59. And when you look at Psalm 59, you realize that David knows you can't fight fear with fear. You fight fear with faith that there's another hand in the room. A hand that's going to protect you. David continually reminded himself, Lord, you are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God will stand with me. You, O Lord, are my shield. You see, there was another hand in the room, and David knew it. And so he kept his hand on the harp. I'm going to invite Cheryl and the, the band to come on See, David learned this, and he had to learn this battle. He had to learn this lesson while he's in Saul's living room because for the next 15 years of his life, Saul would send his entire army after David. Not one spear, an army of spears. And each time the Lord hid him, and each time the Lord shielded him, and each time the Lord protected him. And David had the opportunity to kill Saul multiple times. But this wasn't his fight. This wasn't about Saul. This was about keeping his own heart right. And what if God knew that the relationship that's, that's full of strain and stress right now, what if God knew that you were going to be in this relationship and what if the relationship isn't even about the other person being an absolute idiot? What if the relationship is about you and your heart putting your trust in the Lord? In your heart, taking your hands off the spear. In your heart, keeping your hand on the things that you know God has called you to do and you put the rest of the situation. What if that is the muscle that God is trying to build in you? See, David isn't the only great king that came out of Bethlehem. In fact, so much of David's life points to the king of kings. Jesus was also born in Bethlehem. Paul said this, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You think David had a great spirit? See, the spirit of God was in him. 
The anointing was on him powerfully. But you know what the Bible just says there? That the anointing is on you powerfully. The same spirit that was in Christ is on you. You are David. David is you. It means you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. It means that the battle is the Lord's and the courage and the strength and the power and the authority that you need. It is already inside of you. You can rest in it. You know, um, I, I want to be David. Who doesn't want to be David? We all want to be David, right? I mean, he's just sexy. He's a man after God's own heart. But I confess to you that I'm more like Saul. I spent time with this text and I keep looking at David, wanting to be David. All the while I realized I am Saul. I see people who who operate in gifts and strengths without even breaking a sweat. And I'm going, oh God, I want that. I can't do many things, but I can talk. And when you're good at words, you can also be cruel with words. And shamefully, I've hurled enough spears in my life to know that I'm Saul. And the thing about Saul is he never could get his eyes back on the Lord. All he could see was was the people around him that God was prospering. And I think the invitation today is for those of us who have every reason to hold a grudge, have every reason to be angry and hurt. Yeah, you you have every right to be, you do. But how's that working for you? You're just knotted up and you're all toxic inside. You take that person everywhere you go because you talk about them everywhere you go. Leave them alone. You give them all your power. So I'm going to invite, if you're in here, the training ground isn't about what you can get, how you can get back at them. The training ground is how you can get your heart back centered with the Lord and let the Lord fight your battle. And for those of us who have hurled spears and are have done damage. Maybe, maybe we could put the spear down. What do you think? The battle is the Lord's. Let's pray. Father, it's a great story. This is just a great story. Lord, I lift up the tenuous relationships in our lives. The angry ones the nasty ones when the words became cruel and harsh and damaging and Lord we are guilty as charged we ask you to forgive us we ask you Father to forgive us for hurling spears and swords and knives and anything we can get our hands on and by faith Father we choose to take our hands off of the the spear 
We want peace more than we want to get even. We want your presence more than we want to get evening. We, we, we want, Father, to stay in the lane that you called us to. In the anointing that you've given to us. And so we take our hands off the spear. And Father, we, we forgive those who have hurled spears. And we take our eyes off of them and we... we, we we want to get our peace back. We want to get our joy back. We want your presence to mark our lives, not our woundedness and our hurt and our revenge. And so we release them. And we pray that your presence would flood us and fill us and restore us. In Jesus' name.